Today on Blue 58, the Packers welcome the reeling Atlanta Falcons to Lambeau Field for Monday Night Football this week. Should they be worried about a trap game, or will the record-setting offense continue to roll no matter who lines up at wide receiver? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We are previewing this week the game that will take us to the one-quarter mark of the regular season. We're already a month through the Packers' schedule as of this Monday. A bye week lies beyond, and only thing between the Packers and that bye week is the Atlanta Falcons. We're not doing so hot so far. I think we know who the Packers are now. Talked about that really as a theme the first two or three weeks in these previews. Who are the Packers? Well, I think we know. I think we know who the Packers are. The question is, at this point, do we know what we're going to get? On offense, yes. Outcomes, maybe not always, but we know we're going to get play action. We know we're going to get bunch formations. We know we're going to get deep shots schemed up for Alan Lazard or whoever is out there. We know we're going to get pre-snap motions. We know we're going to get dump-offs on boot action. The results have been the same week to week. It's hard to bank on the results being the same, but Given what we've seen so far, there's really very little reason to think it's it's going to be different this week. On defense, I think we also kind of know what the Packers are. They're going to hope you pass. They're going to count on their offense to get them out in front, get the Packers out in front, and then try to stop the pass with a shell of defensive backs and four pass rushers. Very little blitzing. They're just going to try to get home with four guys up front. What are we going to get results-wise? That's a little bit harder to say. Sooner or later, there may be a team that can take advantage of what the Packers do on defense. Minnesota did at times, not consistently enough to win. The Lions tried and more or less failed. They were taken almost entirely out of the game during the middle two quarters, except for a drive there at the end of the first half that seemed like a failure in approach more than scheme where the Lions really doing anything well. The Saints tried and generally succeeded, but then they decided to stop doing it at a couple key points too. Uh, When they were in a key moment after the Packers failed to convert a fourth down and the Saints took over in great field position, they decided to take the ball out of the hands of their Hall of Fame quarterback who was doing a really good job, even if he wasn't going deep downfield, and run a little gadget play, and it failed spectacularly. Then the next drive, They stopped attacking the middle of the field and tried to do a little screen action on a key third down, and it got blown up. So what do we get from the Falcons? Are they the team that can take advantage of what the Packers are doing? I'm leaning no. But that's the exciting thing about the season so far to me. Through three weeks, we've gotten a really good look at what the Packers are. For better on offense, for worse on defense. The question is, matchup-wise, and for the rest of the season, is somebody going to be able to take advantage of who the Packers are? In the short term, it doesn't look like that is going to be the case. But, for the last 13 games here of the regular season, that's going to be the question we have to ask every week. And now that we've talked about Mike Pettin being on the hot seat, It feels like what we get to do from here on out is just sit back and see what happens. And that'll be exciting. It's going to be an exciting process. Once we know what the Packers are, and we do now, 
we get to see how other teams match up with what the Packers are. So let's talk about how the Falcons can do that. The Falcons offense doesn't worry me all that much, honestly. They haven't been the big problem for the Falcons either, though. And they can do some really nice things. Looking back at their three games so far, I kind of expected to find a big drop-off late in games. That has really not been the case. They do have some long stretches where things just don't go well for them in games. Seattle's just pretty good, so can't really fault them too much there. Though Seattle's defense is not great. Down the stretch was not terribly excellent for the, the Falcons in that week one contest, though. Their drives in the second half, the third and fourth quarter, go like this. Not their first drive, but uh, the last six drives for the Falcons. Fumble, turnover on downs, touchdown, another turnover on downs, another touchdown, and then an interception to end the game. Cowboys game is really back and forth throughout. The defense was really what let them down there. The Cowboys scored on seven of their last eight drives. That's going to be tough for any offense to keep pace with, no matter how good they are. The Bears game, though, the wheels really came off for the Falcons' offense late. Here are their last six drives. Punt, missed field goal, punt, 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 interception. All the while, Nick Foles and the Bears are making their way back. Those three punts late in the game are especially bad. Three three and outs in a row, gaining a total of one yard. That's pretty ugly. The Falcons should be able to do better than that. So where are the Falcons strong on offense? It starts and ends with their ability to go deep. Matt Ryan has the second most deep attempts in the league so far this season after Aaron Rodgers. So running a lot more intermediate routes than Aaron Rodgers too. Rodgers is pretty much go short or go long, very little in between. Ryan is going deep to really deep all the time. His average throw depth this year is 10.1 yards. Rodgers is at just 8.9, which is still pretty darn deep. But Ryan is in another category altogether. And the question then is, is that working? Well, yes. In short, both Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley are averaging an explosive play per catch, more than 16 and a half yards per catch for both of them. Ridley has nine explosive plays through three games. Jones has five and has only played 124 snaps. Even Hayden Hurst, the tight end, is averaging 12.3 yards per catch. However, this approach, this approach does leave the Falcons a little bit vulnerable to pressure. Ryan's only been sacked five times, but going deep that often does expose you to the pass rush. ESPN's pass rush win rate stat, pass blocking win rate stat, excuse me, has the, Saint, or has the Falcons ranked 29th in the NFL. They're winning their pass blocks as a unit just 50% of the time. The Packers are the best in the league in that same measure at 72%. There will be opportunities for the Packers to pressure Matt Ryan there. If Kenny Clark was healthy, this could be a bloodbath up front. If you're matching up Kenny Clark and then you've got your three edge rushers, two of whom are a little bit dinged up this week, that, that could be something to watch. It would be potentially really, really a mess for the Falcons up front. But they may be catching a little bit of a break too. The Packers will have opportunities to rush the passers though. Somebody you might want to keep in the back of your mind is running back Brian Hill out of Wyoming. He was taken 156th overall 
in the 2017 NFL Draft, almost right in the middle between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Very mild concern, but he is noteworthy. His advanced stats are roughly comparable to Tariq Cohen in small doses, and I do mean very small. He's got 15 rushing attempts through three games. So when you're looking at the efficiency stats there, you are projecting quite a bit. Semi-related to that, I am not super worried about Todd Gurley. He seems all but done. Always a chance for a get-well game, especially with Kenny Clark, a little bit a little bit less than 100%, but it doesn't seem super likely. It doesn't seem like he's going to be the one to take advantage of what the Packers are doing on defense. Now, what about the Packers' offense versus the Falcons' defense? Okay, look. Matt LaFleur said they play hard, the Falcons' defense. And they are ninth in the NFL in takeaway. But it is pretty rough, you guys. Traditional stats do not paint a favorable picture. 31st in passing yards allowed, 31st in passing touchdowns allowed, 28th in net yards per attempt. The advanced numbers like them a little bit better. They're 17th in DVOA against the pass, 17th against the run. We typically ask where they are strong and where they are vulnerable, and instead let's just ask if they're strong anywhere. Numbers-wise, I really can't find anything you point to and go, well, here's where they're okay. And they are just very vulnerable in the passing game. They're a yard shy, and they could have gotten it easily because the the Seahawks took their foot off the gas late in that game. They're a yard shy of giving up 300 or more passing yards in every game so far. Defensive back injuries have been a big problem for them. They have five DBs on their injury report right now. That includes Ricardo Allen, Kendall Sheffield, and DeMonte Kazee, all of whom played 16 games for the Falcons last year. Don't got to be a rocket scientist to figure out how that could be a bad thing. The question is, are the Packers healthy enough to take advantage in the passing game? Devontae Adams sounds iffy for this week. He said he held himself out of the last game just because he doesn't want to go until he's 100% again. We know for sure Alan Lazard is not going to be going this week. He had core muscle surgery this week, and that's going to be a big deal. Um, Don't underestimate how serious that injury could be. There is a good chance that affects him for the rest of the season. Uh, Robert Tanyan had a similar injury last year, and he was back in a little over a month. But he said earlier this year that it affected him throughout the remainder of the season. We saw the same thing with Geronimo Allison for most of 2018. It knocked him out for for almost that entire year. This could be a huge deal for Lazard, which would just be an extreme bummer because he's been one of my favorite stories of 2020 so far, and he's a big weapon for the Packers. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is going to have to step up in a big way. Hopefully they get Devontae Adams back because the depth chart is sparse beyond that. They've got Darius Shepard, who at least has played in an NFL game before. They've got Malik Taylor, who has no catches in the NFL. And then you're probably looking at a practice squad promotion here in the in the near future. Reggie Bagleton's there. Robert Foster is there. I would, at this point, probably prefer to see Foster first, just because he's got a little bit more NFL experience. Uh, well, significantly more NFL experience, I guess, than Bagleton. But it is, it's a sparse group right now. And we're really going to test the theory of whether or not the Packers really were okay at receiver without adding anybody in the offense. Could really use Devin Funches right now, uh, but that is an entirely 
an entirely different ball of wax, which things had broken differently a little bit there. Um, every time, you know, and this is putting an extremely mild take on this, but I'm reminded every time that something comes up about um, how the virus has affected uh, this season, a tweet I saw that, that somebody just like offhandedly like putting the 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 mildest possible spin on it, you know, just wondered out loud. You know, I think if I was going to name the worst thing about 2020 so far, it would probably be the pandemic. And it it sounds very glib, but that's that's just kind of how it's been. It affects everything, and it it makes everything just this little has this tinge of being a bummer to it. Just wish we could have one thing unaffected by it this year, but so it goes. Last time the Packers and Falcons played. It was a pretty dark time in Packers history. Thought we were going to get some interesting parallels between the Packers and Falcons, but Dan Quinn has so far not been fired. I bring that up because the last time the Packers and Falcons played was the first game after Mike McCarthy was let go in 2018, December of 2018. The Packers win 34-20. to Had the Packers lost that game, they'd have picked no lower than 7th overall in the 2019 NFL Draft. They ultimately picked 12th and 30th. Via that pick with the, uh, well, actually, you know, 26th after trading up that pick they got from the Saints. Um, but they would have had an opportunity at some some other guys had they picked 7th. Here are the guys who went be- between 7 and 11. Josh Allen, the edge rusher out of Buffalo. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, the tight end. Ed Oliver, the defensive lineman. Devin Bush, the linebacker. And Jonah Williams, the offensive lineman. None of those guys are really like, oh, man, I wish the Packers could have got them. But TJ Hawkinson does look pretty nice right now. I'm still, I haven't sold all of my Rashawn Gary stock yet. Um, I've been much happier with how he's played this year. Um, that's an entirely different ball of wax. Let's talk about that game. Weird game either way for the Packers. They got a defensive touchdown from Bashad Breland. We actually mentioned that earlier this year. Uh, his pick six was the last time the Packers had one. Um, until Chandon Sullivan had his in Week 2 against the Lions. Randall Cobb had his last touchdown with the Packers in that game. Clay Matthews had his last sack with the Packers. Just mentioning this, those names makes this game seem like a thousand years ago. And how many things have happened since then? New coach, 13-3 and season, uh, been to the playoffs. Now things are rolling in 2020. Things are much better than they were the last time the Falcons and Packers played. So what's going to happen in this one? I think the Packers are going to win. I think that even with the state of things uh, in the wide receiver room right now, I just think the Packers are that much better offensively than the Falcons are defensively. And the Falcons' offense, while good in spots, I don't think they're going to be take going to take enough advantage of what the Packers do defensively uh, to make this a contest. Beating teams you should beat is a big part of being a good team. And I want to think that there's a chance that the Falcons can win, but come on, even if the Packers are rolling out the JV team at wide receiver, they still got Aaron Jones. They've still got Jamal Williams. They still have creative things they can do with tight ends. They could roll out A.G. Dillon, see what happens. Hey, A.J., can you play wide receiver? Let's see what happens. If the Packers play their game, they should still put up like 60 points and the question is whether or not the Falcons could put up 63. And even with the talent the Falcons have, do you think they can perform 
wire to wire well enough to make it a shootout that actually matters. The Saints game looks like a shootout in retrospect. But if not for that late field goal, it's a 10-point game. The Lions and Vikings both tried to make it a shootout and couldn't keep pace with the Packers. Do you think the Falcons can do that? I don't don't think so. A lot of people agree with me, too. 97.4% of Packers fans we polled this week think the Packers will win. It does look like a little bit of a trap game on paper. I don't think it is. We're pretty clear on what the Falcons are so far. And I don't think this is the Packers team that's going to take their eyes off the prize a week away from the uh, the bye week like they did a little bit last year, though they did get the win heading into the bye. Elsewhere in our polling, Mike Pettin's approval rating continues to free fall. He is down to just 10.3% in his approval rating among Packers fans we've polled. That is the lowest it has ever been. Previous low was 14.3% after the NFC Championship game last year. Everything else is holding pretty steady. We're at two consecutive weeks of fans believing they, the Packers are 100% guaranteed to make the playoffs. And really, why would you think anything else? Packers are cruising so far. There's no reason to think they're not going to make the playoffs. And uh, I'm just pretty darn happy with where the Packers are right now, and I think they're going to take care of business this week, get to the bye week, get a little bit healthier, and then assess uh, for three months of unbroken football. One last thought before we go here. This kind of relates to where Mike Pettin, or we, we went with the the last episode concerning Mike Pettin. Krister writes in all the way from Sweden. My impression from what I've seen from around the league is that there aren't many defense that are playing, defenses that are playing lights out. Or please correct me if I'm wrong. Many defenses, though, seem soft. There are no fans in the seats, and that may have its effect here. If we compare our defense with the rest of the league, should Pettin still be on the hot seat? I don't know, but I think that applies a lot to the season. That's a really good point, and that's why I wanted to take, when we looked at numbers last last episode, I wanted to look at things compared to the league as a whole, like where they rank statistically, and compare them to last year, because that's where I think it really comes down to with Petten. But I can't really say, like, there are other defenses playing lights out, but there are a couple other things that we should consider here when considering um, Petten's performance and the defense's performance as a whole. And I don't think what I'm going to say is necessarily a defensive Petten, but it is something worth considering. The NFL wants offense, and they are getting it. They sent out a news release this week touting all of the, the offensive records that are being set so far this year. Here's just a couple. The league-wide passer rating is 96.3 right now. That is the highest in league history through week three. The league-wide completion rate right now is 66.4%. That is the highest in league history through three weeks. The league has completed 2,259 passes through three weeks. That is the most through three weeks in NFL history. There have been 172 total touchdown passes through three weeks, and I bet you can guess what I'm going to say next. That is the most in league history through three weeks. The total points per game is up to 51 when you look at both teams combined. That is the most through week three since 1970. Six teams are averaging more than 30 points per game so far this season. That is the fourth most through three weeks in league history. Basically, offense is going bananas league-wide, and a lot of defenses are looking bad as a result. I don't know if that absolves Mike Pettin uh, from getting what seems to be less out of this unit than it feels like maybe he should, but that is at least part of the conversation. 
The league has also basically announced that they are done calling a lot of minor fouls. From the NFL itself, quote, when NFL teams took the field for week one, it wasn't just the first time in a month, in months that players and coaches took part in competitive action. It was the same way for referees. No preseason training camp, no training camp visits, no in-person training. As the NFL Senior VP of Officiating Training and Development, Walt Anderson, explained, the goal was simple. Quote, when we're preparing, certainly going in, we had a theme of clear and obvious, and we wanted to continue that throughout the year. We had to address the clear and obvious penalties. You can't miss clear and obvious fouls, and it starts with that. Going forward, we don't want all of a sudden to start calling the ticky-tack stuff. We want things that are clear. And both quotes. Essentially, going into week one, the NFL announced to its referees that they didn't want to call a lot of minor fouls. And a lot of that showed up in like holding calls and stuff. Holding is, not to put too fine a point on it, but holding is basically legal in the NFL now. The NFL has announced unless it's absolutely egregious, they're not going to call holding anymore. That, I think, affects the Packers too because they, they really built around their pass rush on defense. I don't know how much that affects the Packers, but it is something to have in the back of your mind. We are in the midst of a historic offensive explosion. We are in the midst of an unprecedented era in terms of the NFL calling penalties. And that may not change things entirely, but I don't think it can be entirely discounted. We'll see over the remainder of the season how hot Mike Pettin's seat should be. That could ultimately be the biggest toughest call of Matt of Matt LaFleur's early coaching career here with the Packers, whether or not he lets Mike Pettin go. I don't think it's going to happen in the short term. But it is a long-term story worth monitoring, and we should keep in mind all of the league-wide trends as this story plays out. So I've got for you in this episode. Do appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoy your weekend uh of just anticipation, waiting for the Packers to play on Monday night. I hope the weather is great where you are. It's a beautiful weekend on tap here for us. Get outside, enjoy it, uh, because that snow is going to start to fly here before too long. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and share it with somebody you, you think would enjoy it. It's going to help us continue to grow this conversation we're having around the Green Bay Packers and ultimately help everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.